2020. Wow, 2020. Can y'all believe that? Like, really? 2020? It's kind of cool, kind of futuristic. I mean, when I was, I can remember thinking about 2020, man, that's going to be that's so in the future. And then at the same time, if we think about it, 2020 can also make us feel pretty prehistoric. <laughs> Acts 20, verse 17 through 21 will be our text this morning as we're launching into a series entitled Soaring into the Roaring Twenties. Again, 2020, kind of cool, but kind of an old school feel to it. Kind of makes us feel like we're prehistoric, yet futuristic. I mean, th- think about it like this. World War II, when World War II started, the Civil War felt as far away to Americans as World War II feels to us today in 2020. Feel prehistoric yet? <laughs> How about this one? Uh, the Wonder Years. Anybody watch The Wonder Years? Remember that show that aired between 1988 and 93? might remember that show? It depicted the years between 68 and 73, just 20 years prior to the actual airing of the show. I can remember watching it thinking, man, that just seems so long ago, right? 68 through 73. Well, if a, if a new Wonder Years premiered today, under that same time metrics, it would depict the years between 2000 and 2005. You feel old yet? How about this? If you're 35 years old in 2020, you were born closer to the 1940s than you were to today in 2020. If you're 60 years old or older, pastor, don't be meddling. Well, if you're 60 years old or older, then you were born closer to the 1800s than today in 2020. If you were born in the 1980s, a kid today in 2020, who was the age you were in 1990, so if you were born in the 80s, a kid today in 2020, who was the age you were in 1990, uh, they'll remember Obama's presidency the way you remember Reagan's presidency. 9-11 to them is like the moon landing for you. The 70s are just a little bit before your time if you were born in the 80s, to those who were the age you were in the 90s today, the 2000s was just a little before their time. The 60s seem as old to them as the Great Depression seems to you. Pastor, this is quite depressing, is it not? (laughs) Well, welcome to 2020. (laughs) Enjoy yourself. Have a great year. But there is something about 2020. It's a bit old school, but kind of cool at the same time. Do you remember when you turned 20, for those of you who are in your 20s or older, I remember that was a cool time. I thought I'd never get out of my teenager. I'm going to be a teenager forever. And then all of a sudden, I'm in my 20s. I remember that very vividly. Kind of cool about it. I mean, the 20s are much cooler if you think about it than the, at least. Well, think about the people who lived 100 years ago in the 1920s. They viewed the 1920s as futuristic as we view 2020. Uh, they just did and so as cooler to them than the 30s and the 40s were the 20s there's just something about the 20s so we get to Acts chapter 20 and the Holy Spirit has given us a great picture of what it looks like to move forward Paul the Apostle the context is he's addressing the elders at Ephesus at the church at Ephesus and he's calling them to remember back to look back to what God has done to anticipate what God's going to do, and in the moment right now to participate in what God is doing. 
And so that's what we're going to do over the next three weeks. We're going to celebrate what God has done. We're going to anticipate what God is going to do. And we're going to participate in what God is doing. So we're going to take Acts chapter 20, verse 17 through 36. We're just going to unpack it and just let it naturally fall where it falls. So first message we're going to hear from in Acts chapter 20, verse 17 through 21 is a message entitled, Celebrate What God Has Done. So Acts chapter 20, verse 17, if you're there, say, I'm there. Here we go, verse 17. Now, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning through the power of the Holy Spirit that God, you would change us today. You would challenge us. You would convict us. You would shape us and fashion us and form us uh, more into the person of Christ than we were than we arrived here today. God, we want to hear from you. We want to hear from the Holy Spirit. We want to have ears to hear this morning. Help us to push back all distractions and to listen with ears of anticipation as we celebrate what you have done. It's in Christ's name we pray and all God's people said... Amen and amen. Celebrate what God has done. You know, there are some ways that we can measure what God has done. And then there's things that we can't measure that God has done. You can't put a number on it. Everything that you can count uh, may not count. And everything that you can't count doesn't mean it doesn't count, right? I mean, there's just some things we can measure and things we can't. Uh, this, this morning at the Point Church, we were singing in worship, and all of a sudden the fire alarm goes off. You talk about loud. I'm telling you loud. Lights going off in the worship center at the Point, and the, the sirens going off. and Man, it was loud. It, it was a false alarm. There's just a sensor that, that went bad or something. Well, they got, they got it turned off in the worship center. But that siren is still going off on the mountain. And it's going to be going off until tomorrow sometime when a company can come and change out the sensor. So pray for our neighbors around the Point Church because that siren is loud. And it, it, was, it was the whole time. I preached the whole message with a siren going off that you could so easily hear. It's like it was in the room with us. It's like God said, hey, uh, listen, uh, today you're going to hear something. I pray today you hear something. I pray you hear it from the Lord. I pray you hear from the Holy Spirit today. And I pray we'll listen to what God has to say. So what are we going to do to celebrate what God has done? Well, there's some things we can measure. Okay? Uh, and I just want to share some of these with you. Some highlights from 2019. Can we do that? Gospel conversational goal in 2019 was 2019 conversations. I had a conversation with Dr. House this morning. And he said our actual number was 2020. 
We actually had 2,020 conversations, not 1,960. It resulted in 170 people putting their faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Woo! Amen. Yes. That includes every ministry that we're a part of, from Honduras to other, other national, international, local missions, Engaged Chattanooga Days, Community Kitchen, Benevolence. That includes everything that we do in that 170 people that came to faith in Christ. Had 79 baptisms in 2019. That's the most we've had in any given year since I've served here as pastor. Had a 1,046 average in worship, 841 in life groups across our campuses. In E3 groups, we had 30 groups with 169 people, and that number is continuing to grow. That's a great a blessing for us. World Missions offering was the highest it's been in some time, 142,000 given to missions. This really excites me. 602 people out of our church were mobilized on mission. Well, that's exciting. 602 people said, yes, Lord, here am I, send me. And they went. Boy, that's exciting. We added 158 new members in 2019. God certainly blessed us there. And budget-wise, what can I say? I'm blown away. We set a budget of $3.3 million, which is very significant in 2019 because it was $450,000 increase from 2018. We had $2.85 in 2018, $3.3 in 2019, and God is so faithful. Through your faithfulness, God gave us over $3.4 million, over $100,000 more than the actual budget. Incredible. Incredible. Red letter offering is actually higher than that number, and more accurate numbers in your bulletin. Incredible. That goes to all our renovations that we're doing uh, currently. And then benevolent offering has been higher than it's been in, in some time, $34,000. So we can celebrate these things with a hand clap. We can celebrate God with a hand clap, but can we do more? How can we really get down deep in our, our celebration? There's something we can do with our heart. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. And here's our takeaway from Acts 20, 17 through 21. Commit yourself to Christ and to his church. Believer, you need to be committing yourself to Christ and to your church. Listen to me. A do-it-yourself spirituality is foreign to the Bible. You need to commit yourself to a local church. You cannot follow Christ by yourself. That is not Jesus' model. It is not. You need to commit yourself to a local church. First of all, commit yourself to Christ and then to his church. So how do we do it? What does that look like? Well, there's three ways Paul gives us through the power of the Holy Spirit in Acts 20, 17 through 19. Here's the first one. Model Jesus' model. You know, the Bible tells us Paul wasn't much to look at. <laughs> he, he wasn't uh, pleasing to the eyes. He had scars all over his body. But boy, he modeled Jesus' model like no model has ever modeled on any runway before. He followed Christ. He served the Lord. He modeled Jesus' model. And, and this is what we learn here about Paul in verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. Now what's happening here is Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. We know that because of verse 16. It's just right here that he wants to hasten to Jerusalem if possible on the day of Pentecost. He wants to be there on the day of Pentecost. So he has a goal and he's on it. And then he gets interrupted. He gets delayed. You ever been delayed? 
Let me ask, do, do you like routine and rhythm? Do you like your rhythm to be delayed or interrupted? I don't. Don't mess with my rhythm. Don't mess with my routine. I like it. Don't interrupt it. But Paul is interrupted. They have to dock at this place called Miletus, and it's throwing him off. But he doesn't have a pity party. He doesn't pout about it. He doesn't say, woe is me. He takes advantage of it. says, hey, I'm going to send for the elders at Ephesus. I'm going to pour into them. Hey, what a great goal in 2020 to look at every delay that comes your way and say, you know what? This is an opportunity to obey the Great Commission. Man, what a goal in 2020. Jesus was often interrupted. He was interrupted all the time. All the time the Lord Jesus got interrupted. And he took every advantage and every opportunity to obey the Father's will and to tell people the gospel. We must do these same. What a goal to set in 2020. I love this. He said he, he, he from Ephesus, he, he called the, the elders of the church from Ephesus to come to meet him. And you know what those elders did? They showed up. You know, that that's another great goal in 2020 is for you to just show up. Hey, you know what we need? We need to stop showing out. We need to stop flexing. Let God do the flexing. Let God show out and you just show up. Show up and let God show out. So they showed up. The elders of the church came to him. And when they came to him, this is what he said to them. I love that, by the way. He said to them. He didn't speak at them. He didn't gossip about them. He didn't speak above them. He didn't speak around them. He had a conversation with them. You know those little devices we carry around that we get on social media and text and email? When's the last time you actually used a phone as a phone and actually dialed a number and called somebody or touched somebody's name and called somebody? Hey, how about we do that in 2020? How about having a conversation, using our voice to talk to somebody? Paul talked to them. He said, y'all come here. I don't want to send you an email. I don't want to text you. I don't want to uh, send you some kind of social media direct message. I, don't wanna do I want you to come to me, and I want to have a face-to-face -face conversation with you. And so they came, and then he told them. And look what he said to them. This is good stuff right here, church. As all the while, you'll notice what Paul does in Acts 20, 17 through, through, through 36. All, he, all Paul is doing is modeling Jesus' model. That's all he's doing. He's just following Christ. He's just doing what Jesus would do. I love that he called the elder. Do you know that God calls you as, to salvation? And he calls you to sanctification. And he calls you to serve him. And he calls you on me. Do you know that? Is, isn't this mind-boggling mind to think, okay, this God, this sovereign, all-knowing, need-of-nothing God, not only created me. By the way, you do know you were created, right? You didn't come from a monkey. The Big Bang Theory didn't create you. God himself fashioned you into his own image. You were created in the image of God. He made you, and then not only did he make us, this, ah, not only did he make us, he decided to save us, to, to die for us. And not only that, then he calls us. He wants to use us as his instruments and his vessels. And so God calls the call. And then when he calls the called, he calls the called like Paul to call out the called. 
Hey, elders, y'all come over here. I got a word from the Lord for you. Right? So God calls the call. Then he calls those that he calls, like Paul, to call out the called out ones. That's what God does. God is calling you to call someone to call upon the name of Jesus to be saved. You can bank on that in 2020. That's what God is calling you to do. So he calls them and they come. Think of it like this. You are an instrument to be used by God. Anybody in the orchestra in here this morning? Anybody serving the orchestra? Anybody in here? Orchestra? I know they're here all morning. So a lot of them were here for 8.15. Any orchestra folks in here? Okay, there's some hands up here, up here. Let me ask the orchestra folks a question. I asked Don this this morning at 8.15, as a lot of them were in here then. Let me ask you this question. When, when you're doing a concert, do you, do you do the concert and then tune your instruments? Sometimes. <laughs> Brad, you just killed this whole thing. You crushed it and killed it. Well, what, what, what are you supposed to do? Tune them before or after? Tune it before the concert, not after. And, and this is what we do. We wake up and we, as a follower of Christ, and we go through our day because we're so busy. And we're all busy. All of us are busy. And then we get to the end of the day and say, okay, God bless the day. No, we're his instrument. We don't wake up, do what we want, and say, okay, God, tune us up. When we get up, when our feet hit the ground, we say, God, tune us up. Hey, we like Charles Stanley said, hey, Lord, help me put on the whole armor of God. Hey, when you wake up and your feet hit, Paul said, when my feet hit in Asia, this is what I did. When I set my foot in Asia, this is what I did. I served the Lord. I served you. Hey, when we wake up and our feet hit the floor, we need to pray to the Lord, get in the Word, get in one of those Bible apps to send you a verse that you can get on your phone early in the morning, meditate on that, pray, start your day, begin with the Lord. Hudson Taylor said it this way, do not have your concert first and then tune your instruments, begin the day with God. You are his instrument. Start with him. Do you see a pattern here by Paul? He's doing what Jesus did. It was Jesus' custom to get up early and pray. It was Jesus' custom to go to worship. It was Jesus' custom to disciple. And so Paul is following, modeling Jesus' model. And so look what he tells them. I like this. Verse 18. You yourselves know. Somebody say no. He's talking to the elders. He say, elders, you guys know. Each one of you know. You know I lived among you. You know for a fact what I'm telling you is truth. You yourselves know. That's for emphasis. Like you know this. There's some things that we know and there's some things that we don't know. Like I know this, for example. I know I would rather eat an entire porcupine with my bare hands than to try to tackle the Tennessee Titans running back, Derrick Henry. I know that, right? I know we know that a Tiger is going to win the National College Football Championship. We know that. We just don't know which Tiger. We know that some team from Death Valley is going to win. We just don't know which Death Valley. We know this. There's some things we know. There's some things we don't know. These elders knew that Paul was telling them the truth. Why? Because of this right here. I lived among you the whole time. That is incarnational living. Jesus was incarnated, meaning he put on flesh, became flesh, and did what? Dwelt among us. Paul is following Jesus. That's what he's doing. This isn't difficult. This isn't rocket science. Paul says 
you know how I lived among you. John the Apostle said something similar in 1 John about the Lord Jesus. He said, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life. That John is saying, we know, we ourselves know that Jesus dwelt among us. Paul is saying, elders, you know that I've dwelt among you. Incarnational living. So how did he live among them? Well, let's see what he says. Look at it with me. What does he say in verse 19? Does, does Paul say this? You know how I lived among you, being served by you with all pridefulness, with all laughter, happiness, and being comfortable living my best life now. Is that what Paul said? No, that's not what Paul said. He said, you know how I lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. So Paul is saying, look, I have served the Lord. Let me tell you something about serving the Lord. We're not all going to have our name in lights. Okay, We're not going to have that kind of platform, not all of us. Not all of us are going to be an athlete or a celebrity that has a microphone put in our face and we can testify to Christ. We're, we're not, we, we probably won't have that kind of platform. But if you will do everything that you do unto the Lord, serving Him, whether it's working, playing, studying, eating, sleeping, whatever it is, then you'll always have a platform to serve the Lord. Just serve the Lord, man. Jesus came to serve, not to be what? Serve. All Paul is doing is modeling Jesus' model. Serve the Lord. What's the posture of a servant? It's all humility. You know, Gordon McDonald writes about serving. Uh, he wrote about a white elephant gift. Anybody at Christmas, did you play that game with your family? The white elephant gift game? Are we the only ones that did that? Uh, some of you did that. We did that as a staff. And I'm still a bit bitter about that. If you could pray for me. Specifically Wes and Holly Ford. I'm, I'm, they're very mean to me. There was a gift that I wanted. And they knew it. And they did everything in their power to keep me from getting it. And I'm still bitter and you need to pray for me. That white elephant gift, this, this Gordon MacDonald talks about the very first original white elephant gift. He talks about in ancient times a king would literally give an albino elephant, a live elephant, elephant to his enemy to distract the enemy. Because this was an ancient gift in the ancient of days. It was a sacred animal and you had to care for it with resources and time and energy. And you, it was a burden to care for the white elephant, but you had to do it because it was sacred. And what would happen, the enemy would get so distracted that it, the enemy would destroy themselves because they put everything they had into this sacred white elephant. Satan still does that today with believers. He throws white elephants at us. It may be this year that you made a commitment. Maybe last year you were... You spent time with the Lord early in the morning. You get up and pray and journal through the Word, read your Bible, study the Word, those kind of things. But now you say, well, i got to get in shape. So you got a gym membership to go early in the morning. And you're going to go to work out and then go to work. And that's going to take away your time 
from the Lord. It's a good thing to work out. That's a good thing, but don't let it take away from the best thing. Maybe you have a child on a sports team, one of those travel teams that you've committed to. And what that's going to do, that's going to take you away from your commitments of serving the Lord. Maybe disconnect you from the local church. And so just be careful, just beware that Satan is throwing these white elephants at you that can keep you from serving the Lord. They're not bad things. None of them are bad things. They're good things. But are they the best thing for you and your family? So beware of how Satan works. That's how he works to distract us and to get us our focus off of this very thing, serving the Lord. And Paul says he did it with all humility. Who with all humility? Now, Paul isn't bragging on himself. It's in some humble brag. He's not saying, hey, I want you to read my book, Humility, and how I attained it. Okay, that's not what he's doing here. He's just letting you know, hey, I serve with all humility. I love the story of Sir Edmund Hillary. He was an avid mountain climber. In fact, he, he conquered Mount Everest a number of times. He was well known. So much so that he was knighted in 1953. He got so many awards in 1995 and later achievements for being a, just an incredible mountain climber. And one day he went back to the Himalayas and a group of climbers noticed who he was and said, hey, can we have our picture taken with you? They just begged him for a photo. He said, sure. And so they gathered around him and they put an ice pick in his hand for the picture, to pose for the picture. And so here's this master mountain climber with this ice pick in his hand. And here comes another climber that doesn't recognize Sir Edmund, doesn't know who it is, and says, excuse me, sir, you're holding that ice pick the wrong way. Let me show you how to hold it. Now, this is the master ice pick climber, and he's going to tell him how he needs to hold it. That's like one of us saying, hey, Peyton Manning, uh, excuse me, sir, let me, that's not how you hold a football, right? Let me show you how to hold a football. Or somebody coming up to me and saying, hey, Sam, that's not how you hold a Chick-fil-A waffle fry. Listen, I know how to hold a Chick-fil-A waffle fry. I got a Ph.D. in waffle fries. I know how to do it. Sir Edmund, when that guy came up to him and told him how to hold, he just he humbled himself. He took the guy's advice. He said, thank you. They took the photo and they moved on. And the people were just astounded that this master climber took the advice of this knucklehead that walked by and said hey you're doing it wrong but he humbled himself humility Paul humbled himself he was humble with all humility Jesus the Bible tells us he humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on a cross what better picture of humility do we find than in Philippians 2 the example of Christ and all Paul is doing is modeling Jesus's model he also does it with tears Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He wept with Martha and her family when Lazarus died. Jesus wept. He served. He came to serve with tears. Like, like here's what the gospel does. The gospel humbles us, doesn't it? The gospel reminds us, hey, we don't deserve God's grace. And so when you remind yourself of the gospel, you're reminded of that. The gospel also tenders our hearts, right? It tenders us. That we can serve with compassion and with tears oftentimes. And it also toughens us up all at the same time. Because there's trials, Paul said, and I served with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. It's, it's, it's an incredible testimony of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are being persecuted. The persecution of the church is as high as it's ever been. You realize that, right? 
Like there's a pastor in China who recently was sentenced to nine years in prison for preaching the gospel. And the church in China is exploding. All that's happening in Iran right now, with all that's going on. Do you know the church, Jesus is building his church at 19.6% evangelical growth in Iran, even in this time. Almost 20% growth. Recently, 11 Christians in Nigeria were beheaded. But the church is exploding in that area. Dr. Moore said it like this. You may be able to behead the bodies of Christians. But you can never behead the body of Christ. Cannot. Model Jesus' model. It's worked for 2,000 years. And it will continue to work until Christ comes. Number two. Well, how, we can, how can we celebrate? Paul says, hey... Imitate me because I'm imitating Christ. Model Jesus' model. Number two, here it is, verse 20. We mimic Jesus' method. Look at this. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. He did not draw back. He did not hesitate. He did not avoid. He did not disappear from a position. He did not keep silent about. He didn't turn back. He didn't back up. He emphatically, passionately, shared and taught the word of God he did not water down the gospel and I love how he says it here he said I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable you know what that tells us church if you go to the book of Ephesians and you read the book of Ephesians Paul quoted some from the Old Testament so Paul even taught the Old Testament Can you believe that that even the Old Testament is profitable amen that tells me there's no passage in all of scripture that is not profitable They're all profitable for teaching and rebuking. And they're all profitable for salvation. This word is rich. It's alive. It's it's God, the breathed out. God has breathed out his word to us. Wholly inspired by God. And then I love how he says it here that, hey, anything that was profitable to you, I did not shrink back from declaring. And in Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3, we see what Paul declared to that church. He declared an explanation of the gospel that we're saved by grace through faith. That's chapter 1, 2, 3. Chapter 4, 5, 6 in Ephesians, Paul says this is how you apply the gospel. This is how you live it out. You walk in love. Husbands do this. Wives do that. Children do this. Explanation of the gospel, then the application of the gospel. But his message was simply the gospel. And he mimicked Jesus' method. What do you mean by that? Well, look at the method Paul used to teach with. Look, he declared, he, he used the word of God, amen? <laughs> Didn't Jesus use the word of God? Yes, Jesus used the word of God. Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word of the word of God. So his method was, use the Bible. That was his method. And then also, how did he use the Bible? Well, he declared it and he taught it. He proclaimed it and he taught it. He preached it and he taught it. And where did he do it? In public and from house to house. You know what that means? There's no bad place to teach the gospel. There's no bad place. In public or in private, there's no wrong place to teach the gospel. Jesus did the same thing. He taught in synagogues. He taught from house to house to house. Jesus taught in a Pharisee's house, tax collector's house. He even taught in a house where they raised the roof to lower down a paralytic. He taught from house to house, in public and in private, preaching and teaching the Word of God. There is no wrong place to teach the gospel. 
mimic his method. You know, the spiritual disciplines that we're called to do, like reading the word and praying and fasting and memorizing scripture and sharing our testimony and discipling each other and holding each other accountable and all these spiritual disciplines that encompass all of that. These spiritual disciplines are here not not to make God, not to make us precious to God, but to make God precious to us. Like we read the Bible not to know the Bible. We read and study the Bible to know God. It's a person that you can have a relationship with. And he's revealed himself in the person of Jesus. One pastor said, if you'll turn the pages of Scripture, if you'll get into the Word, God will begin to turn the pages of your life. So, hey, mimic his method. Stay close to the Lord in his Word, preaching and teaching, public, private, wherever. Get in the Word. Number three, last one. How are we going to celebrate what God has done? We need to make known Jesus' message. And here's the message. Testify. Somebody say testify. I know we probably have some folks in here who have worked in courtrooms before. Maybe currently you work in a courtroom setting. And when a witness comes, what is that witness called to do? Testify. Testify. Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses. He did not say, hey, Paul... I need you to be my editor. I need you to edit the Word of God. I need you to take away from it and add to it. Jesus didn't say that. He didn't say, you'll be my editors. God doesn't need someone to edit the Word of God. He does not need editors. He needs mail carriers who will take this message and deliver it. That's what a witness is. You testify. You testify of the truth about something or someone. And that's what we're called to do. To testify. And notice it's both Jews and Greeks. Like nobody's off the hook here. Like Jews and Greeks would encompass the entire world. Every language, tribe, nation, and people are to be testified to. And then they are to begin to testify of the truth of this great gospel. So what is the message that we are called to proclaim? It's a simple message right here in verse 21. Somebody say repent. Somebody else say believe. Exactly. Repent and believe. There is a repentance. Paul is preaching this. I'm not making this up. It's right here. That he testified both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The two go hand in hand. It's like two sides of the same coin. Repent and faith. Repent and believe. Repent, turn back to God, turn toward God, turn from something and turn to someone, and then put your faith, your belief in the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, that He's God, that He came to save His people from their sins, that He's the anointed one and the promised one, this Lord Jesus Christ. One pastor said it like this, evangelism is not a professional job for a few trained men, but it is instead the unrelenting responsibility of every person who belongs to the company of Jesus. D.L. Moody said it this way, I have made it a rule that I would not let one day pass without speaking to someone about their soul's salvation. And if they didn't hear the gospel from the lips of others, there will be 365 in a year that shall hear the gospel from my lips. Vance Havner said, It's not our business to make the gospel message acceptable, but to make it available. We are not to see that they like it. We are to see that they hear it, that they get it. 
John Newton said, although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I'm a great sinner. Christ is a great Savior. This Jesus is our Savior. In fact, he's the only Savior of all mankind. And his message is repent and believe. That was John the Baptist's message, Paul's, Peter's, Jesus' message, the church's message today. This is the message of God. Return to me. Turn back to me. Repent and believe in my son, my only son, the one whose name's above every name, the one who came to seek and save the lost, this Jesus who came to save his people from his sins. Would you say that with me, Jesus? Just say that name, Jesus. There's just something fresh about that name, isn't it? Something sweet and fresh and new about that name, Jesus. It's greater, greater than Adam. You know, through Adam came sin. So by one man's sin, the whole world is condemned. And then came Jesus, the second Adam. And through one man's sacrifice, all who believe in him are saved. So Jesus is greater than Adam. Jesus is greater than Abraham. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus greater than Jacob. You remember the Samaritan woman and Jesus had a gospel conversation at the well. And she asked him, are you greater than our father Jacob? For this is the well that he's given us. And Jesus said, well, whoever drinks of this water is going to be thirsty again. Whoever drinks of the water I give will never thirst again. <laughs> he's greater than Jacob. He's greater than David. David called him Lord. He's greater than Moses. He, he's due more honor than Moses. Jesus said someone greater than Solomon and Jonah are here, speaking of himself. He's greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist said, after me will come one who's greater than I. And he's greater and higher and above all other names. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Our job is to make his message known. Like up on the mountain, preaching today. I mean, as, just imagine right now a siren going off. Rawr, rawr. That loud right now while I'm preaching. The whole time, 40 minutes. The whole time. And it's still going off. And it'll be going off till tomorrow. Man, wouldn't God be pleased with a church, with a follower of Christ, that would sound the alarm like that? Making Him known every opportunity you get. That fire alarm, what a, great, what a great concept to warn you that before the fire destroys everything. What a great concept. We have a message to testify to let people know, hey, before you're destroyed by the fires of hell, you don't have to be. You can believe in Jesus and be saved. Man, we are. To t I love this word here, testifying. Paul says, hey, uh, testifying means he continues to do it, not that he stopped doing it. It's what he continues. He's continuing to testify to this message of repent and believe. And I know today we think, well, we just got to be nice to people, right? We don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. We don't want to offend anybody. Think about it like this. If a, if a medical student was, went to his or her superior and say, look, I'm done studying medicine. I'm not going to study anatomy anymore. I'm going to stay in medical school, but I'm not going to study medicine. All I'm going to focus on is how to be popular with people and relate to people. I'm just going to focus on good bedside manner. I'm not going to study medicine anymore. How long will that student last? How long will that school last? How long will a hospital like that last? What does a patient want? As a patient, would you want a competent physician 
who practices medicine correctly and truthfully? Or do you want an incompetent physician who is popular with people? I think I want the competent physician, right? Dr. V is Tanya's cancer surgeon. I'm so grateful to God for Dr. V. God used Dr. V to save her life, and I'm grateful for Dr. V. He has zero relatable skills whatsoever. His bedside manner couldn't be worse. He's from Greece, and the cultures just don't jive, okay? He's terrible at bedside manner, but that's okay with me because he's the best high-peck surgeon in the country, and I'm so grateful for him that he practices medicine correctly and truthfully. As followers of Christ, listen to me. Are we to be kind to everybody? Absolutely. Absolutely. But you have to take the personality God has given to you that he is saved, okay, that he is sanctifying, and you have to use that personality to take this truth, repent and believe. It's highly offensive. Yes, it offends people. But you've got to share it with the people God's put in your life. That's what you're called to do, to model Jesus' model, to mimic his method, and to make known his message. Now, I can't tell you what 2020 holds. I don't have any clue if Tom Brady is going to keep playing for the Patriots. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with the election at the end of this year. I don't know. I don't know what 2020 holds. But this I do know. I know the Bible is still the Word of God. I know that. I know sin still destroys. I know that Jesus is still the only Savior. I know that heaven and hell are still real. I know gospel conversations are... Listen, they're a lot of work, but they still work. I know discipleship is our calling. I know the Holy Spirit empowers us. I know that Jesus is still alive. He's still reigning. He's still praying for us. He's still building his church. He's still preparing a place for us. He still loves us. And the gospel is still our greatest need. That I know in 2020. Now, you can circle Thursday, January 16th on your calendar. What's that, a week? A week or so away? A week from this Thursday? You can circle that date because that's the day that all your New Year's resolutions become last year's news. You're going to give it all up on that day. Two weeks into the year, you're done. Don't make a resolution. You can't measure a resolution. Make a commitment. Make a commitment. Set a goal. Have some accountability. So here's what I want us to do. I want to challenge all the believers in the room to make a commitment, okay? To make a commitment in 2020. And this is how I want to do this. I just want to ask you to commit to one more. One more. You know, when I turned 20 years old, I started lifting weights in my 20s, and I got this big old book called Encyclopedia of Bodybuilding by Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Reading through that book, I had one takeaway from that Bible of bodybuilding, if you want to call it that. And the one takeaway was always do one more. If you're doing a set of eight, do nine. If you're doing a set of ten, do eleven. Schwarzenegger said always do one more. Just one more. Just do one more. If you're doing four, do five. Just do one more. Jesus says, hey, you need to go the extra mile, right? You need to do one more. In our lives, let's, let's, let's do one more. Let's have one more gospel conversation. Right? Let's, let's read one more uh, book of the Bible. Let's memorize one more scripture this year. Let, let's give one more percent of our time serving. 
Let's give one more percent of our resources uh, to, to the church. Let's, let, let's, let's take that one percent challenge. One more. Just one more. So here's what I want you to do. I want everybody to stand up. All the believers in the room, I want you to stand up. I want you to look around the room, around your area. I want you to see the people around you. I want you, if you're a college student, find a college student or... If you're a man, find another man. A woman, find another woman. Teenager, a teenager. Men with men. Guys with guys. Girls with girls. Women with women. And I want you to find somebody that can hold you accountable this year. I want you to find an accountability partner in this room this morning that can hold you accountable to your commitment. And you only know your commitment. You've made it in your heart. I'm not going to tell you to tell the whole church. I want you to tell that one person. And that person's going to tell you their commitment. And y'all are going to hold each other accountable this year and talk once a week. Right? Reach out to each other and say, hey, how's it going? Are you doing this or that? Or, and, and let's, hey, let, let's follow through with what Paul says here. Let, let's model Jesus' model. So as we leave today, I want you to find somebody before you leave this campus. Say, hey, would you, would you be my accountability partner this year? And make that commitment. Father, we love you and we thank you. We praise you for the gospel today. It's a message of hope. It's a message of life. It's a message of peace. It's a message of change. God, we've been changed. We've been, we're, we're a new creation. We have a new opportunity before us here in 2020 as we celebrate what you've done. And we celebrate how Jesus lived and the example he left us, the model he gave to us, the method that he made available to us, and the message that he wants us to make known. I pray that we'll follow through with that, with a one more challenge. This year, I pray for every believer in the room that they'll find somebody today that they can hold accountable and commit to one another that, hey, this, this is what I want to commit to this year. Just build a relationship there and commit to one another. Father, for anybody in the room that says, you know what, I, I've, I've never repented of my sin. I've never turned from myself and my sin. I've never put my trust and faith in the person of Jesus. But today, on this new year, on the cusp of a new decade, I want to make a commitment. I, I want to be made new in Christ. I want to be a new creation. Well, today you can do that right where you're standing. If you'd open your heart and just whisper a prayer to God, a conversation between you and the Lord. Say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm in need of a Savior. And I know Jesus is that Savior. I believe He lived perfectly. I believe He died for me. I believe He was raised from the dead. And I want to put my trust and faith in Him today. Oh, if you've, if you've trusted in Christ today, we want to hear about it. If you've trusted in Christ and never made it public, we want to hear about it. Maybe one of the goals in 2020 for you as a believer who's never been baptized is you need to be baptized in 2020. Make that a commitment. Come let us know about it. Come let us know about any other commitment you've made. Come and pray with one another. Grab that accountability partner during this invitation and come and pray with each other. Man, man, go to that man. Uh, sir, go to him and say, hey, would you be my account? Let's go pray. Right now in the invitation, we can do that. Ma'am, go to that lady and say, hey, would you hold me accountable? Come and pray with each other. However you respond, this is the time to